Hello and welcome to a new Nodia on Your Mind podcast. I am Johan Tukme here in the studio with Victor Sonebeck. Great to be here, Victor. And great to be back after a uh, wonderful summer and, and hopefully we have a wonderful autumn ahead of us. Indeed, and an exciting new topic, or maybe not so new topic. Today's talk will be about e-commerce. I think it's fair to say that it's a favorite topic for us in thematics. Exciting for sure, but uh, as you say, per- perhaps not uh, the newest of topics for us. I mean, you could, could almost called it an, an obsession at this uh, point because this is our f- fourth uh, report uh, on the subject and it was back in 2017 I first started looking at uh, e-commerce uh, and I guess you could say that the first report and especially with uh, its title caused uh, quite a bit of a stir uh, as we titled it the retail apocalypse. Absolutely and to be fair it was a deliberate provocation we did choose the title in order to create a bit of attention and I think it's fair to say that we got that what we wanted was to flag our belief that there is going to be in our view, a a big online migration for retail in the years ahead. And we really wanted to highlight our conviction and we did get some attention on the back of that, uh, which created a number of interesting talks. There are a lot of things happening in the e-commerce space. And as we identified back back then, we have seen and and have seen a maintained clear structural trend of, uh, of course, then growth uh, within the e-commerce space. Uh, But what we will also try to do with all of these reports is to kind of create an updated view of what is happening within the and the e-commerce space and trying to track and stay with it uh, to, to see what is happening. And of course, a lot has been happening. And most recently, uh, before this report, uh, we wrote a report uh, regarding the effects of COVID pandemic uh, on e-commerce. Uh, what happened during the pandemic and, and the pandemic boost to people shopping uh, more online. And I, I guess the, the, the big question now uh, that we've looked at is what is happening now when we're leaving this period of time behind us? What kind of lasting impact can we see? But also, you know, kind of checking the pulse on, on the environment as a whole, uh, what is happening with the, the brewing uh, cost of living crisis, how will that affect the outlook for uh, for retail, but perhaps online retail specifically, but also what can we see in the capital markets, uh, what is happening and what is the uh, what is the current status and the current view of uh, e-commerce going forward. I think many listeners would agree with us that it's not been a lot of fun lately to receive electricity bills or indeed to go food shopping. And uh, then the big question there becomes how much it will be left in uh, terms of household incomes to spend. So there's both the outlook for overall demand, but there is also the migration from offline to online and what's going to happen on that front. So I guess you could categorize it as the, the structural trend yeah. and the change in consumer behavior that we've been seeing, but put that in contrast with current uh, macro climate. As ever, we like to have data to analyze. I mean, it's, it's much more interesting to try and draw conclusions about trends and development if we have some data to analyze. And, and in the area of e-commerce, pretty much since the first time we looked at it back in 2017, it is a challenge to find good data. And there are different definitions of what is online retail, what is e-commerce, if you want to look at actual sales levels, absolute numbers, and how it's reported differs a lot between countries and different providers of data as well. So this time we wanted to be a bit thorough and make a big review of what kind of data is available how do we want to use it? And we wanted to put an extra effort, I think it's fair to say, into ensuring that the data is reliable and that it's comparable. So it's not perfect. It never will be, probably. But what we have really been able to find is if we look at comparing between different countries, looking at the Nordic region, the four Nordic countries, based on the data that we have thoroughly reviewed, the online share of total retail sales has roughly doubled in the Nordic region since 2015. So coming from 7% today, it's at 
around 14%. I guess we'll come back to that a little bit when we look at developments recently. Now, that number, a roughly 14% share of retail sales which are online, is broadly in line with the US, according to the best data that we can find. But it's actually far behind the UK which is very much leading developments in this area, which is at more than twice that level, at roughly 30%. And important to mention, I think, Victor, that our definition, which we felt when we looked at this, made most sense to talk about overall retail sales and see what share is online, would be to exclude travel and accommodation, which are categories where we have almost 100% online penetration, so they would distort that share in a sort of positive way. And we've also excluded vehicles and fuel, which have a close to zero online penetration, so they would distort in a negative way. So we have stripped those out. And then we have got those the different countries that I mentioned. But that's not all we've done. We have more data than that. For sure. Uh, and as you mentioned, there there are a lot of different data points around. But one of the problems is, you know, being able to compare the data. Uh, and just briefly, that this has to do with a lot of the data being survey-based. And also, of course, with different countries using different methodologies in order to uh, create this data set. Uh, but that is also why we are extra happy, I guess, to be able to use proprietary Nordea card transaction data. And just again, to, to, to reiterate that this is aggregated and anonymized data, so we can't see very much in detail, but we can get a feel for, on an aggregate level, the developments and actually the developments on a daily basis in terms of what are our customers doing or spending money on and how are they doing it. Uh, so what we've used to get this kind of enhanced view of the development in the Nordics in terms of online retail spending is to use this data in connection with other data that we have uh, carefully aggregated. And looking at actual purchases made with cards by 10 million people would of course be a much more solid basis for being able to measure what's happening to spending than those surveys that you mentioned where some institute would call people up and ask them how much have you spent online in the past three months. I don't know about you, but if I got a question, how much did I spend online in the past three months, the level of accuracy in my answer would probably not be fantastic. For sure. And that's the reason why the, the most common question is perhaps how many times have you shopped online? And then, you know, trying to, to uh, turn that into how much are you actually spending? Well, that's that's a bit of a challenge, yeah. of course, leading to the uh, before mentioned problems with the data quality. But we have better data. And what does that data tell us? Well, it's it's been an interesting ride for sure. I, I guess we can, can start there uh, with uh, uh, the Nordic uh, the Nordic region's online share of total retail in late 2019 being around 10%. And what we can see in this data, since we have it, you know, in such a high frequency, where we can see the daily data, it's been a very interesting ride where we can see clearly the effects of the pandemic in, in boosting online retail. So from this starting point of around 10% in late 2019, first of all, we see a clear Christmas uh, boost to online. Uh, retail to retail overall uh, we should say uh, but then during the pandemic we've actually seen this go as high as 20 percent so almost a double in terms of total online retail share or total retail and from this high point we've also seen you know the the reversal so online shares coming down uh, and i guess we could, could already now say that one of the interesting parts here is that the the big boost during the covid pandemic the, there seems to be a lasting boost from it but it might not be as much of a boost that we initially would have thought because this level from the top of of 20 percent in early 2021 we are now back down from that to around 14% in, uh, on average uh, in the Nordic region. 
So looking at this data and then you know trying to gauge what is the, the elastic pandemic effect, we would say that it's in the in the order of magnitude of around one percentage point permanent boost. But then of course the the big question I guess is is how much of this will be lasting even further going forward. But also how much uh, how much has the pandemic boosted the, the growth rate for online retail? And looking at the different Nordic countries, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, are there differences in the online share between the countries? For sure. So so typically what you see in the data is that Sweden, Denmark and, and Norway, they, they have moved together during the pandemic and they are at quite similar levels. So, so Sweden is typically leading the pack, but it kind of differs from month to month. But then we have Finland, which has, has moved kind of similarly during the pandemic, but starts from a lower level and, and kind of remains at a lower level. And I guess quite quite simply, this could, could be well understood from just the, the, the point of demographics. And, 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 you know, it's harder to get a good economics of scale with a big country. And, and fewer people. And the population density issue of how many live in each region yeah, exactly. and how do you cover them in terms of deliveries and so on and so forth. You mentioned the question about what will happen next and, and that's of course the, the key thing here which we have looked into and to try and answer that question we felt that an important thing to do is to consider what are the growth drivers. And just to give a little bit of perspective worldwide on that if we go back to 2014 1.3 billion people in the entire world were shopping online. And in 2021, the number was 2.1 billion. So that's, if you want to look at it as a share of the global population, an increase from 18% of the people in the world doing some sort of shopping online back in 2014 and 27% last year. And if we want to narrow it down a little bit and look at not the entire population, but we look at the adult population. It's actually a share of 28% back in 2014 and 42% last year. So, so there's been a half of the global adult population is uh, shopping online. And it's a big jump, obviously, over still a fairly limited time period. And then the next question becomes, okay, so what has driven this increase? Why have so many more people over this time period started shopping online in the world? And one very, very key driver, without a doubt, is rising smartphone penetration. It's kind of, I guess, a refresher when you remind yourself that smartphones have not been around any further back than 2007. So it's 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 actually a fairly new phenomenon still. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, as as your figures show, with, with how many people are, around the world are actually shopping online, I mean, this includes areas where you don't already have smartphones. You don't have internet connection as readily available as we do have, especially here in the Nordics. Uh, so, so I guess that begs the question then: since we, at least in, in in most, if not all, areas in the Nordics, we have uh, readily available internet, most of us have smartphones. Given that you know that journey has al- almost been completely done with a smartphone penetration in the Nordic countries of, of well above 90%, what remains? So, so what could be the next key drivers in terms of driving the structural growth for the online shopping trend? Uh, that is also a key question. And just to make the point, looking at online shopping today, actually more than half of purchases made online across the world are made with smartphones. It's 54% for 2021. So that just highlights how crucial rising use of smartphones has been to make us shop more online. It's become so much more convenient and, and, and easy to do so. But again, looking ahead, we certainly believe that there is plenty more upside left for that online share of retail sales to grow further. And we think now that smartphones Smartphone penetration is no longer something we can expect to be the big driver from here. The next big structural driver, which is probably going to last for many years, is demographics. And when we say demographics, what we mean is that younger consumers certainly buy more online than older consumers. And at the same time, being at an earlier stage in their work lives, they have lower disposable incomes. 
So the older consumers don't spend as much online, but they represent a bigger share of total spending. Now, we think a very reasonable assumption is that those younger consumers who spend more online will continue to do so. They grow older and their incomes grow. We don't think that suddenly they will see themselves in the mirror one morning and say, my God, I'm 40, I'm no longer going to buy anything on the internet. I mean, reasonably, they should have the sort of preferences and habits that they have today. I think uh, trying to prove that the more money you have, the less you will spend online, that, that, that would be a formidable challenge. Well, it will take some effort to try and convince us about it at yeah. least. So we very much believe in this view, and that means that inevitably over the years ahead, there is going to be a boost to the online share of retail sales as the younger consumer group grows in importance and starts representing a bigger share of total spending. And to try and put some sort of number on this, that's obviously very, very challenging. You need to make a lot of assumptions. We have an analysis in the report, but just to give a very rough indication, irrespective of what happens to demand, irrespective of what happens to the business cycle, the macro outlook, just the fact that the younger consumers will increase their incomes and that the total amount of spending online will, as a result, go up, that factor alone could actually increase online retail spend by 40%. So it's certainly not a small number. It's, it's, it's something which could be a very powerful driver for online retail sales in, say, the coming decade or beyond. And, and this 40% is then just purely from a demographics factor, not taking into account you know, more people shopping online. Or, or, exactly. Or, so that's yeah. before any GDP growth or mm. private consumption growth over the years. That's yeah. the only structural factor. Yeah, before be any changes in, in, in consumer behavior. Indeed. And that will be online expanding at the expense of offline. That's not additional online sales. That's a transfer of where the online sales happen. But important to add that point about the overall outlook for demand and for the business cycle, because obviously at this point in time, it's not exactly a very robust and certain outlook that we face, is it? Yeah, and you, you mentioned it uh, it's briefly that, that we have this this kind of brewing storm for, for uh, consumer spending. And it is, of course, course uh, causing a concern for the outlook of, of retail as a whole. Of course, uh, online retail as a result of that. Uh, the migration that we're talking about, that, that is unlikely to, to be affected by this. But what will be affected is, of course, the, the actual growth rate for the whole retail spending area. And just as an example, we, we've looked at, at, you know, energy prices are up some thousand percent, different, uh, depending on what regions you, you look at. Looking at global food price indexes, we, we see levels as high as 60% in just in, in food price increases uh, from the, the, the end of 2019. And of course, this is uh, pushing up inflation and uh, driving up interest rates. And well, everyone needs somewhere to, to live. You need to, to be able to heat your apartment, you need to be able to heat your house, and everyone needs, needs to eat. So, of course, this, uh, the, the end result of this uh, is then that disposable incomes are, are very much at risk. And, and with this, uh, you know, consumer confidence is obviously tanking around the world. And as you say, we are convinced that the trend of a bigger share of total retail spending shifting online is not going to be prevented or, or reversed by this uncertainty relating to the overall demand outlook. We believe there is still a lot of structural growth for that online share to grow further in the coming years. And we think one factor that's probably going to be helpful over the coming decade as well, maybe even the coming few years, is that we get to what you could call the inflection point of the S-curve. When a new technology or, or innovation is introduced, there tends to be this S-curve-shaped development representing a limited number of people being the early adopters, starting to use this, buy it, have it available. And then you have a, a rapid growth rate from that very low starting point, and then the growth matures and slows down a little bit. And that's what you get to the midpoint of the S-shape. And 
once you get to that point somewhere in the middle, I remember this from being old enough to have lived in the area before everybody had a mobile phone, even, not just a smartphone, but even a, a plain mobile phone. And, 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 and I think that's a good illustration in the sense that in the beginning, they were pretty expensive and they were not that easy to get hold of. But once you got to the point where you looked around you and you saw that everybody else seems to be using one, then you could start even feeling a stress factor that I need to get onto this bandwagon, I won't be the last one who doesn't have one available. Um, and, and we think with online retail, there is going to be a similar dynamic here in that we are not yet at the point looking at the sort of penetration rate. You mentioned 14%, Victor. Mm. I mean, that's that's not a majority of online spending that's online today. We still have some way to go to the point where it's going to be the norm, not in all categories, but in a lot of categories that you buy something online, just like it is the norm today. If you make a hotel booking, you're going to do it online. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's important to, to mention as well that you know, the, the more people that are using you know online retail services and are spending money on online, typically what happens is that the better the offering will be. So the more convenient deliveries will be, etc. Because of course, if there's a business case for investing in, in an online platform, mm. the more people that are actually using it, the more money will be available in order to invest and make this viable. And, and we're not going to talk about that too much, but one, one effect that we've seen from this is, is online food retail uh, during the, the pandemic. That from a very low starting point and from, a, you know, perhaps a quite limited offer, at least not on the same kind of maturity as, as the rest of the online retail market, uh, there has been an explosive growth, not only in terms of, of uh, you know, different players setting up uh, their own online stores, but also in terms of, you know, how soon can you can you get the delivery, how easy is it to, to navigate the online webpage, etc. So, so this does go hand in hand, that more people that actually shop online, the, the better typically the offering becomes. And differences between categories can be a good illustration. Let me ask you this, when was the last time you saw either a consumer going into a travel agency to actually buy a trip? Or alternatively, that you saw a consumer go into a record store, if anybody still remembers what that is, to buy a CD to listen to music. And th- th- there is actually a local record shop uh, where I live. I-, I think I've seen one person there in, in the last uh, three, or three or four years. So a niche for so, enthusiasts. Yeah, quite niche uh, for enthusiasts, for sure. Now, we like data. And having talked about all this and what the future may hold when it comes to this online share for retail sales for consumer spending. We've tried to look at it and come up with some sort of number, right? Victor, where do we think it's going to go? Yeah, so, so what, what we've done previously is to actually look at uh, the trajectory for, for uh, online retail in the UK, because that, that has typically been quite a good proxy for the, uh, the development in the Nordics. And as you mentioned earlier, you won, uh, the UK retail or online retail penetration is currently at almost twice the level uh, that it is in the Nordics. And, but what we've seen is that with the five-year lag, uh, the Nordics have actually been following along with the growth rate uh, in the UK. So going back to, to this scenario... And looking at what would happen if we continue to follow the UK trajectory, but also, you know, trying our best to take into account the, the pandemic effect, perhaps lasting effect in terms of a boosted growth rate, but also discounting a bit on the growth given the, the macro environment and, and the, the consumer spending crisis that we've been talking about. One such uh, scenario, of course, we're not saying that this is uh, this is going to be the, the ultimate truth, but w- one of our best guesses would be then that the Nordic online share would grow from some 14% today uh, to perhaps be as much as, as 25% in 2025 and might even be as high as 35% in 2030. And I mentioned food retail earlier, and, and in these figures, food retail is included. And, and of course, food retail is one of, if not the, or it is the biggest category for retail spending. And if we continue to see such a massive growth within food retail, of course, this is going to help boost these numbers up, make it, I guess, more likely that we actually reach these levels. Or even necessary, given that uh, food retail sure. is nearly half of total retail spend. For sure. Now, again, this is a scenario. It's not a 
cold hard truth for certainty. But we, we think this is a reasonable way of looking at it and sensible expectations to have for, for, for the coming years. And looking at it, it conveys a very, very important message to retailers. And that's what we think is really useful to think about if you happen to be a retailer. What do I do with all this? How, how do I relate to the situation that I find myself in and what I should be expecting for the coming years? And if, if, if there is an outcome even close to this kind of scenario that we have modelled, there really is a very, very sharp contrast between the prospects for online retail sales and offline retail sales. And just to put a number on that, if we take a 10-year period ahead the period between 2021 and 30, the compound annual growth in online sales would in this scenario be 12% annually for online retail, which is a pretty high number. Which is typically lower actually than than it has been in in the past. And correspondingly, the growth rate annually for offline retail for that 10 year period ahead would be minus 2%. And that is of course very important for planning. How do I want to conduct my business? How do I want to be positioned? if there is going to be a migration to that extent. But it's very interesting because we like to, and we've done that in, in, in this report as well, try and sort of take into account the capital market perspective. What do capital markets tell us in terms of performances, in terms of valuation levels, etc., about what they expect to happen to this industry? And, and, and having looked at that, Victor, what do the capital markets tell us about the prospects, given what we have just been talking about that we expect based on this scenario analysis? Quite a lot, for sure. <laughs> and as I think everyone is familiar with, uh, the capital markets are, are quite reactive. So, so a lot is, is happening and, and has been happening. So first off, it, it's gone very much in, uh, hand in hand with what we've described, you know, this, this massive boost for online retail uh, as a result of the pandemic. And because what we've seen is that during the pandemic, uh, online retailers have, have seen a massive boost uh, to total shareholder return. So looking at, you know, how well have, have these companies performed on the stock market? There has been an absolute massive outperformance for online retailers. But in the same way that our data shows that you know we have some somewhat of a cooling down period now for online retail, uh, where the effect from the pandemic might not have been as massive as we previously thought, uh, the online retailers have actually lost almost everything they gained and, and even more in some cases. So in the end, where we stand right now, you know, comparing total returns from before the pandemic to, to uh, this point in time, uh, we actually see that, that discount uh, stores, so offline retailers, but uh, yeah, categorized as, as discounters in this case, uh, and uh, just the typical brick and mortar stores uh, have actually outperformed over the full time period. So it's been uh, very much a rocky road, but, but as it looks right now, uh, the big boom that we saw in, in share prices for the online retailers have completely disappeared. That's actually staggering. And one of the reasons for this, of course, we, we've looked at, at you know consensus forecast growth for, for revenue and for, uh, for EBITDA. And comparing then the online segment with the all offline segment, there is kind of, kind, of, kind of a stark contrast between the two. Uh, so the online revenue growth prospects, it, it's pretty much unchanged from what it was in 2019. It increased remarkably during the pandemic, but it's since come down. Uh, and looking at offline retail, ah. Just looking at the, the, the forecasted growth for the, the offline and the online segment, if we start by looking at the, the offline segment, uh, we actually see an unchanged expectation of, of revenue growth from what it was before the pandemic to what it currently is, uh, looking at, at the next 12-month period. Uh, so, so offline retailers are expected to grow by some 5% uh, in terms of, of uh, revenue. But looking at the online segment, the expectation before the pandemic uh, was some 20% revenue growth, uh, and this is currently 10%. 
So there has been a lot happening in in uh, in the space. And looking at EBITDA growth instead of revenue, we see kind of a similar scenario uh, where offline has halved in terms of of uh, expected future growth, but the online segment has gone from an expected growth at EBITDA from some 35% before the pandemic to actually being close to zero right now. So so the outlook from the market's perspective has changed rapidly. And to something quite extreme. I mean, expecting a 10% growth rate for the coming year, the consensus forecast this is for the top line, but at the same time, a flat profit. Now, that would suggest that there are substantial profitability challenges built into investor expectations today. And for of course, sure. and for anyone who, who reads news, I guess this might not come as, as that much of a surprise, yeah. given all the different uh, the headlines we've seen in, in Financial Times or your local newspaper. But to make sure that the analysis is sort of complete, we've also looked at how retailers are valued in the stock market. And looking at both EV to sales valuation multiples and EV to EBITDA valuation multiples, again based on consensus forecasts for the coming 12 months, we can see that the EV to sales valuation premium that the online retailers used to have over the offline retailers is now gone. And if you look at the EV EBITDA premium in the valuations that they had, it's today one third of the premium that they had before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Yeah, and, and looking at uh, you know the level of investment, so the level of capital expenditure uh, within different types of retailers, uh, we think this this uh, you know paints a clear picture of that there might be some some large uh, challenges ahead, and most notably finding scale in in your business and being able to to reap the rewards on your capital expenditure to such an extent uh, that that you deem it that you deem it worth actually investing the the capital. So we've actually seen this go down quite a bit for the online retailers where they previously spent every year they spent more than they did previously and this was growing at a staggering rate and now the expected growth in investments has come down quite a bit. So investing more in your customer interface for selling online, perhaps investing more in your fulfillment capabilities to make sure you have good browsing, payment options, deliveries etc and now finding that hang on We spent all this money building this up for an expected growth that we no longer think is going to materialize in, say, the next one or two or three years, even nearly as much as we believed before. And and then that creates, as you said, this, this scale worry. Yeah, and, and finding out that uh, you know the the end result of the pandemic boost online retail might not have been as much as, as we hoped for, but also as we mentioned, this this kind of brewing perfect storm for consumer spending, of course, you know, dampening the mood for for additional investments. Now, I think you could describe this verdict by capital markets that we see as pretty harsh, and when we look at it, we can't really help wondering if there is some sort of undershooting of the future prospects for online retail here by capital markets. Now, again, we're not going to give any exact forecast or, or opinion on where valuations should be or anything like that. But we acknowledge that there is, of course, good reason to be concerned about the outlook in the next year or two for demand, given what we talked about earlier when it comes to consumer spending. But at the same time, as we have been arguing, there are very powerful drivers here, particularly demographics suggesting that there is going to be more shopping online by consumers in the years ahead. We suspect that there is an element of, as you said before, capital markets being reactive here and being very much in the present, but perhaps not sort of fully allowing for this structural factor that we think is going to play out if we look a little bit further out in the years ahead. And I think what you mentioned there is is really the, the 
key point here. I mean, of course, there's, there's been a lot happening in recent years, but what will remain is still this structural growth. Uh, and that kind of structural growth can oftentimes actually describe it as kind of a force of nature, because, you know, the demographics changes, that's not going to go away. And the migration that we've seen from offline to online, that will most likely, if not guaranteed, to continue. Uh, so, so in that sense, whatever else happens with consumer spending, you still have these factors of migration from offline to online. Now that seems to me like a good place to end today's talk, but I think we probably should tell our listeners what we've got planned ahead. So our next Nordiana Mind report, which uh, we want to release in October, is going to have a title which is very much a sign of the times, I think. Nordic Energy Supply. Doesn't um, get more, more exciting than that. And it's hard to imagine everyone finding that to be relevant. Us as private individuals having to heat our homes, but all kinds of companies and investors out there uh, seeing this exposure being a huge factor probably in the cold season coming up. So we very much look forward to getting into this and uh, we very much look forward to sharing it with you in a new podcast once that report is out. And I'll also just take the opportunity to mention that Like every year, we're going to do a big treasury study. This one will also be out in October this year. And the 2022 survey-based treasury study will look at corporate exposures to Russia and Belarus. Um, we will review corporate aims and needs when it comes to supply chains and footprints. And we will also look at uh, corporate behavior when it comes to managing commodity and FX and interest rate risks and make some comparisons back to the big hedging survey we did in 2016 to see where we are now compared with what the world looked like six years ago. So that's going to be an exciting one too, which we will also have a podcast to talk about. So plenty to look forward to in October. Thank you all for um, listening today. Mm-hmm.